Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Born to Run, A Hidden Tribe, Super Athletes and The Greatest Race the World Has Never Seen was released by Christopher McDougall in 2009 and it went on to sell 3 million copies, inspire a short-lived craze for barefoot distance running and fundamentally change how many of its readers feel about endurance training. It was the latest tome to come under the microscope of the I'll Tell You Who Wrote It Second Captain's Book Club and this week on the Second Captain's World Service we got one of Ireland's greatest ever athletes, Kira McGeehan, to review it for us. Kira's background as a trained physiotherapist came in handy more than once as we delve into McDougall's series about running shoes, training loads and even prehistoric man. But is it the panacea for all of humanity's ills? McDevitt asked the tough questions others wouldn't. You go along with the other central theory that he has here. He studies this tribe in Mexico and he sees that the they've basically cracked the code to life, which is you can be happy if you run pretty much. Do you agree with that central tenet? That I'll be happy just if I run. Definitely not. <laughs> no. no, just ch- ch- not not you necessarily. Yeah, but that it's the key to human happiness. We were born to run, and we should still be doing it, and that's what will make us happy as a society. I definitely do think there's a huge a huge thing to be taken from that. Much like the whole barefoot running thing, maybe not necessarily running as a whole, but movement is the key to to life, and movement is the key to health. And you know, the saying now that sitting is the new smoking. Definitely getting up and being active is something that is really a medicine that people are looking for in every other aspect. Like they're looking for a doctor to give them a, a pill that's going to make this better, this better, this better. But throughout all of my studies in physiotherapy, the thing that recurrently came up that was really beneficial for no matter how many ailments and illnesses came up was exercise and being active. And, you know, that was for people with COPD. That was for cancer patients. They found that exercise was good for them. It's not going to cure cancer it's not going to do that but it can help improve their quality of life it can make them feel better also exercise can help prevent a lot of illnesses so it can help go towards preventing certain cancers certain um heart conditions that are definitely more prominent if you have an unhealthy lifestyle um stroke things like that so it's it is it is very interesting he's definitely on to something there whenever he's saying that 
we are born to run so should we embrace that and continue moving um i know how difficult running can be and it's not for everybody that's something that also i'm conscious of because um i feel that sometimes i can be quite unrelatable in the fact that people look at me racing at 1500 meters or like she can run a mile in whatever time that seems so untangible for for people whereas i actually i'm like do you know what if you got out and you got for, for a walk and you were in nature and you had fresh air around you and you were listening to the birds what that can do for your for your mental health for your physical health is is something that no no amount of uh, medicine could ever replace um so yeah he definitely is onto something and i don't i don't you know that simple life i think there's also so many other factors to it having your loved ones around you um also we're very lucky if you're in a position like i i'm quite fortunate i know that eating healthy food is something that's um you could, you can be quite fortunate to to be able to do because in the world that we live in the cheaper food is often the un, most unhealthy food so you know these are often things that it's quite funny because my my studies made me have to think of all of these things so then whenever i think of one little part i can't just agree with it without thinking of the, all the others but definitely i do think movement is a key part to the happiness of life yeah and you know there's a, a lot of the book is now i have to say right i'm uh, on the line here with two people who enjoy running uh, one is slightly better than the other, but that's I was not gonna to say, say. I don't know if you should be should put myself in care on this. <laughs> you thing. probably you probably well, enjoy it more than me. You know, uh, what, the, I, well, what, I, what I run, I run, I run longer distances, Kara. So you know, <laughs> I have that over you, if extremely so, slowly. Yeah, no, it's, but, but I mean, I, I will say that from the point of view of this book, for instance, the, the Christopher McDougall and the the way that he writes about running would make no distinction between the Olympic athlete and the the you know the marathon runner in training um i have always hated running like i just <laughs> i i've grew up playing team sport you know i've oh, i've spent all my life playing team sport the idea of going for a run all that means to me is this is the punishment before someone throws the ball in and then we can like get back to doing what we're here to do so i was I, there what what interested me about the book the kind of the the angle that most interested me about the book was that he 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 seemed to think that there was a style of running or an experience of running that was just purely for the joy of it and it's it's like feeling that joy alone was enough of a stretch for me but then he was talking to high performance athletes uh athletes who race to win and he was kind of saying that this is the key to actually winning as well is that you just go out there and you truly love it you truly enjoy it when it starts feeling like work slow down uh and you know like i just kind of thought okay i've heard kira mcgeehan speak quite a bit over the course of the last 10 years she strikes me as quite a competitive person and i was just wondering what you made of the idea of running purely for enjoyment forget about the place that you finish forget about competing because it's the exact opposite of what so many athletes say and sports people say I love the competitive aspect. This book seems to say you've got it all wrong. Yeah, do you know what? It is It is really... that I can distinctly remember reading that section of the book and kind of taking a wee moment to think because there's certainly times that I don't overly enjoy running and I find it, um, it really stressful and really tiring and really tough. And that's something that can be very... It can be very hard because I know whenever I've ran my best, I'm at my happiest. 
And that's not because I'm, I'm running my best. It's made me happy. I think because I'm happy, then I can therefore run my best. I only had a very similar conversation and not, not about the exact same thing, but kind of a similar feeling with my soft tissue therapist and my teammate Izzy. So my soft tissue therapist in the team here in Manchester, um, is a lady called Vicky Heels and she uh, was an Olympic swimmer. She swam the channel. She was Commonwealth swimmer. She swam for England and GB. She's married to, um, a cyclist called Rob Heels, who was, uh, Olympic medalist. Um, he like cycled on the tour. So like they, between them, they have an awful lot of experience in sport. Um, and I really enjoy like bending the rear. And Vicky's such a, a big part of our team. And we were chatting about those moments whenever you're in the zone and how everything just feels so free and so easy. And you're like, am I going to get tired? And I can remember distinct moments in my career when I was like, yeah, I was in the zone last year in the two diamond leagues. I was like, I was in the zone. I finished that race and I wasn't, you know, I finished races 10, 20 seconds slower and been in a hole and absolutely hated it and felt so bad. Physically felt like that was so tough and then ran a huge amount faster and felt much better. And you're like, what is that? Is that like, have you, have you tuned into something beautiful? Um, And then Vicky talked about Chris Hoy and how he trained to be able to tap into that because I personally was like I'm not sure how you tap into that for me sometimes you're like god I was just lucky that day that I got in the zone can you can you physically trans like kind of make your mind go into the place when you can possibly get into the zone um and then on that similar vein of just enjoying enjoying running just for running's sake like you're just out and you're running and I definitely have moments I, I did a run on my own last week and um, because my teammates were in different places they were racing I was just out doing a six mile run and I was running down the Middlewood way which is an abandoned railway here and it's made into a nice pathway and um, I was just tipping along at like somewhere between seven and seven thirty minute mile and it was an easy run and like in a moment I, I thought god isn't it really nice to be able to just run I'm not very out of breath. This is an easy run. I'm listening to the birds. The sky's blue. I'm so lucky to be able to do this because mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. There's times that I'm dragging myself out the door and I'm like, right, okay. And I'm tired and I'm sore. I raced an 800 at the weekend, did 10 miles on Sunday. My Achilles is a bit gro- groggy because it was in my spikes. And I'm like, your body gets a little bit beaten up from being on the track. Didn't overly enjoy that run. The last few miles, I was like, God, I'm just looking forward to getting in and getting my lunch. And you're kind of wishing it away. Um, and if I could, honestly, if I could step out the door and every single run love it, I would be so happy because it would make my life an awful lot easier if you just enjoyed it. But <laughs> I do think in everything in life, you know, people are like, find something you'll love and you'll never work a day in your life. But I do believe whenever things turn into your work, that then there's a becomes a pressure on it. So running's now my job. There's a pressure there to perform. There's a pressure there to be the best that I can be. That comes from me. And with that then comes like a little bit of unhappiness in the sense that you're like want to strive towards something. You know, if I had no expectations on myself, then maybe everything would be much easier. We really enjoyed our chat with Paul Flynn and Michael Murphy this week, not least because a couple of things happened last weekend that were actually really interesting in Gaelic football. Roscommon held onto the ball for six minutes before kicking a score against the Dubs on Sunday. Westmead held the ball for four minutes against Armagh at the start of the second half of their match on Saturday. The situation at the moment is that the boring thing is often also the correct thing for teams to do. So it got us thinking about changes that could be made to the game 
and who we should perhaps be listening to about those changes. The, the wrong people to do this, and I was in the GPA, are current players and current managers because yeah. they actually, I, I fell, fell to this so many times in the GPA where I knew we were advocating for the wrong thing, what which was best for the game, but it was what the players wanted. And does that dynamic that you have to just manage, right? And you realise that this is just people who are like who who understand the game, who 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 love the game and want to protect the product that it is, because people will vote on their feet. They won't go and, and spend their hard earned after tax money going to these games if it's brutal. And I, look, I just think there's a couple of things that we need to do and look at. Like there's loads that probably needs to be changed. I don't know all the answers. You're spot on. We need to ask ourselves, what is excitement? What do we want from the game? But I just was doing a little bit of research um, and I was looking at basketball, right? And back into the 50s when they introduced the shot clock, um, it was kind of born out of the, the, and it was a back of a fag pack type of uh, design of a a new rule. Um, Rather than being born out of analytics, they're born out of, you know, extensive research. It was a really good article in this Sports Illustrated on it and essentially it came out of a game between the Pistons and the Lakers and it was the lowest scoring game in the history of the basketball. It still stands, I think, 1918. The Pistons weren't as good a team as the Lakers and they just held the ball for so long and back then if you fouled, which wasn't a foul, it led to a free throw. So they just, the Lakers kept fouling them so it ended up being a free throw, um, um, essentially, competition. Straight out of that, they ended up introducing this rule, right? I'm going to skip a few steps, but they introduced the rule of the shot clock. And it was, it's still seen as probably the, the lifesaver of professional basketball. You know, there's been plenty of rule changes since and it'll continue to be, but that's the one thing that's made like being the core and, um, and like they, 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 they reckon that what it did was it brought increased pace to the game, increased scoring, increased, improved offensive structures, uh, better decision making for players, better players became important, you know, to be able to have that bit of individual spark, to be able to create something, increased excitement for both teams, uh, and better shape to the game, right? You know, there was better defensive organizations because they pressed up, they went full core press, they, they, and it just was seen as a, a cornerstone to the evolution and the protection and the growth of the products. And I'm not yet at the bottom of whether this is the right thing to do or not fully. But when you hear about some of the things they're trialing, you're saying to yourself, who is picking these things, right? Like, you know, have they really thought about what you said, Murph, the questions that we're trying to answer? What does good look like? And I think with a shot clock, I just always take myself back to the train drills and things like that. What's really um, positive sessions? If you're working the ball out for a kick out, you've got six seconds to get to the other end, other 45. It is like that. It is so quick. It is positive. Loads of mistakes. But it brings out an excitement, even in your own as a player. Trying to do it is, is exciting. If you're given then 10 seconds to score to score a point, which these are drills that you would do in a, a normal session, it brings intensity. It brings intent. And I just can't take myself away from trialing a shot clock. Clock, shot clock. In a in a freshers game, rather than um, trialing a bloody forty five, which I, 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 the kickers passed the forty five, and the, the the backward passing um, rule changes they're, they're they're proposing is something that will be really interesting. It's tried and trusted in a game that we do learn a bit from. You know, we take learnings from, 
Um, I'm not saying it's the panacea, but I think it's worth it's it's worth us exploring. You know. Yeah, I you know I, I think there's there's probably a lot of questions off the back of that, and you know you, you always have to take into account you know what happens at club level and now and, and you know, even, like I'm in on that right. Sorry, I meant yeah, to say yeah, yeah. I am not in the same camp as the same rules apply to the club and to the inter county. Mm-hmm highest level of our game. I think we have to get ourselves out of that because if that's the case, we're going to hold back the game forevermore. Yeah, like, no. You can't have a shot clock at every game and a junior game and an underage game. That's fine. But in the inter game, to protect the product, to, to better the whole, you have to have some sort of boundaries. And that's probably the first thing, Murph, you're spot on that needs to be done is that we, uh, does the association understands that this, the, the inter-county game needs a couple of real changes to make sure that it's not yeah, left left behind. I actually don't even think that it's necessary to to start like picking holes in ideas. But I, the the big thing I think is that we shouldn't be afraid of the big idea, you know. And I think that the the shot clock, uh, the shot clock, uh, the history of the shot clock is is so interesting because it is it's a seismic change, but it, it's also necessary. So this idea that you're picking around the edges, and as you say these rules that are being uh, slated to be introduced to freshers football and hurling next year, where you can't, you know, hit a, a, a freeze backwards and stuff like that. I mean, it's fine, but it you're kind of skirting around the edges of the problem. Yeah. Whereas I think really you shouldn't be afraid of the big idea, you know? And if there is, if, if a shot clock doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But, uh, or maybe it, maybe it comes to the referee. Maybe it's at the referee's discretion where he'll allow a player to go on, but he'll blow the whistle three times in a row and say, okay, you've got, 25 seconds to take a shot now. You know what I mean? As opposed to it being off every transition there, you've got like a set amount of time off from every kick out. You've got a set amount of time to, to get a shot away because, you know, teams will just flood back and block up the 45 and make it impossible for anyone to take a shot from inside the 45. But I like, I do understand though, that that's what has to happen. I think, uh, and it, it's not just the teams in division two at the bottom of division two playing a Dublin or Kerry playing like this, all the best teams do it. Galway are more than happy to just waste time for two and three minutes at a spell before deciding to give it to someone to have a cut. You know, Mayo maybe nearly stand alone as a team who don't really have that much interest in, in playing around in their kind of middle and defensive third, holding onto the ball. But I absolutely agree. Something, something like that has to happen, Michael. You know, like yeah. something like it's not, some big idea has to come along. I think because no one likes it. There is no one like you can't talk to one football person, and they'll say, "I think this place is a high premium on the skills of the game to play like this." It's really, really easy to hold onto the ball in your defensive third for three minutes. You don't have to be anywhere near an inter-county football football standard to do that. Yeah, no, I t- totally agree. And the, listen, the, the, the big, uh, that thing that you said around the big idea to me is something that, that needs to be really explored because these other smaller ideas, like God forbid, like if God, the freshers football next year is going to be, I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be, it's going to be enjoyable one to watch. But yeah, listen, at the moment, and again, I keep going back to what I said. My mindset is very much. By no means am I going back to play. I need to clarify that. But you're still, it's taken a while to transition from that dress room in terms of you're thinking about what's the best way to win. A lot of the times, the best way to win, you're saying is right defensively, get everybody back, be really, really solid in defense and everybody to help out and attacking ways. 
everybody becomes, I suppose, a, a, an importance in attacker. But let's try and work a high percentage shot. Like, I mean, five, ten years ago, were we ever speaking, or sorry, ten years ago, were we ever speaking about a high percentage shot? We weren't. But yeah, l- l- listen, trying to get back to what is. What is what is entertainment? Like I, I think about in an old game that got slated over and over again was the the compromise rules. But I but I also I always believe and I always spoke about it to to anybody that that played in it or any of the players that played in it. What did you say? Did you enjoy it? I says I did. I actually loved playing the actual game itself. The game itself actually emphasised more of the GAA skills than what Gaelic football is currently doing at the moment. If you could not accurately kick the ball over 20, 30 metres and catch the ball and win contests with your opposition marker, you were inevitably going to get beat in that game. You know what I mean? And we're not seeing enough of that in, in, in Gaelic football in terms of like there's, there's there's teams and players now that are playing in Gaelic football games. Don't get me wrong. They're, they are not kicking the ball all once over the course of the 70 minutes. And realistically... Because they not, can't. Well, they can't, yes, but... They've been coached and told not to also um, because, you know what, it's, it's safer to do this. And statistically, it's the best opportunity for us to keep keep this ball, move it from side to side, get a high percentage shot. And that's the best opportunity of us winning this game over 70 minutes. So, yeah, listen, back to, to, to more contests as such, but just a little bit more thought on what that big idea is. And I, and I go back, I, I hoped, like, you know, and probably this is because I'm starting a little bit further down the journey of being away from the game than you are, Mark. But I had hoped, when I, like even last year, and I was convinced that it was going to be uh, tactical innovations that were going to just lead us to a better game. I kind of had a feeling that it was happening last year. There was some sort of turning of the dial. Like this look at the Premiership when you look at Klopp's and you look at Guardiola's versus the Mourinho's, you know, you, you just it just evolves, right? And you get managers who say, no, we are here to entertain, you know, and Klopp leads the way in that. But like... Is there anything in it for intercounty managers for the entertainment of the game? I don't think so. It's also win at all costs, really, and it's not a it's not a professional game. You don't have owners who are saying, "Hold on a minute here, their product is losing versus other sports because we're so defensive." Make this more attacking because as an actual value, right now no one's actually taking an ownership of that because they don't really. Care and like I know I was in the GPA and the time like you know and I didn't agree with this rule change but when it came to the rule change in relation to the three hand passes in a row, I never had as much engagement with players in front of football side than I did then and we successfully lobbied for it not to be introduced and I was like if that like I I I, I happen to agree with that rule but I had managers onto me every day I had players onto me every day you know and um. I just don't know whether that's the right way to do it. They shouldn't, it shouldn't be their call because this is actually about the game, which we all own essentially, or no one owns, but we were all given the um, stewardship of it. And it needs to be bigger thinking, big idea. And nothing has to be forever. It's about, they're trying all these things anyway. So why don't we just take a, you know, um, a big picture look at this to, to, to make sure we protect it and, you know, um, try things that we might get wrong, but so what? Well, it needs something needs to be done. It's FA Cup final weekend this weekend, and for tomorrow's show, we spoke to the brilliant Noradine Chowdhury at Bearded Genius on Twitter, as you may well know him, uh, about his new book, Inshallah United. It's a great read about his youth growing up as a second generation immigrant in Manchester and the music and Man United teams that lit up his youth. So in this exclusive extract, we asked him about the possible Qatari takeover of Man United and he gave us this, we think, rather nuanced answer. The thing that I hate perhaps more than anything is the fact that a football fan can go from 
having quite a simple existence in terms of they they work their working week or they do what they do and football is their solace or football is this other world that they can d- dive into on a weekend or or, or 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 twice a week or whatever and suddenly that that simple premise of this is their favorite waste of time becomes a situation where they are now encumbered by the sins of the owners and they must now become experts in geopolitical issues and human rights sort of uh, situations and it's what I'd, what I'd hope would happen with Manchester United is the same as what I what I hoped would happen with with Manchester City and, and Newcastle United is that if you can't walk away you almost have a situation where you allow yourself to have your cake and eat it no one can take that 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 fact that you are a fan of that club away and that you support that club and that club is an, a massively important part of your life perhaps the most important thing but you can still not become a share like a cheerleader for the for the for the for the new owners and ideally you can you can highlight their abuses of human rights um situations and issues and point out where where the owners are going wrong and you do get pockets of that people treat Manchester City fans and Newcastle fans as these big monoliths, but they're not. You get these pockets of, um, of, of of fan groups that are fighting against that scenario and are saying, this is what our owners are doing. This is what the nation states that own our football club are doing. This is wrong. And yet they can, they are still, they are still getting behind the team and hoping that, that, that it does well. And I think as, as, as hypocritical as that sounds, of both supporting the team that is benefiting from the money that's coming in from these nation states and then criticising the nation states. I think that is the best thing you can do apart from walking away. And and the same way I can't walk away, I appreciate that other fans can't walk away. So best case scenario is walk away. Second second best case scenario is highlight the abuses and highlight what you're basically fight against the, the sports washing. So uh, make it inconvenient for them as well as supporting the club. And then after that, it's being neutral and just enjoying the football and ignoring anything that's non-football. The worst situation, which happens so often and, it, and it's so depressing, is when on a Monday, a Newcastle fan does not care about Saudi Arabia and, and has got no intention of supporting them and or, or a City fan about their owners or United about, about the Qataris. And the next day, because they've bought your club, you are suddenly a cheerleader. You are suddenly supporting them. You are suddenly supporting their regimes. Anyone criticizes what they do, or any anyone brings morality in it, you are angry at them. You are angry at the reporter, or you are angry at that fan for complicating and muddying your head and reminding you about something that you don't want to be reminded of. Yeah, it, it is incredible. I mean, there are a lot of ways in which football is just way worse than it used to be, <laughs> and I don't. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't want to characterize your book as being, you know, modern against modern football or things were better in the old days, but they kind of were. Like, for instance, <laughs> you talk about uh, your favorite season being the ninety two ninety three season, favorite favorite United season. This was yeah. obviously the season when they when Cantona joined, when they yeah. won the league title for the first time, having been close. Um, the pre, you know, having been building towards it for uh, for quite a long time under Ferguson, and there's one. Um, one bit where you say the lows felt hopeless, losing to Ipswich at the end of losing to Ipswich at the end of January, and going on a devastating four-game winless run in March. So that's the third. But the highs were beyond you for absolutely destroying Norwich with counterattack after sensational counterattack to end our March was. I remember that game so clearly. 
I remember watching yeah. that. Do you, do you remember? Yeah, it? I remember it really, really well. It yeah. was amazing. And but the, but one of the things about it that, that you know, thirty years later, you're like Norwich. It, yeah, well, like I kind of <laughs> miss. I, I sort of miss the time when Norwich could actually when beating Norwich could be like yes, you know, like mm. a breakthrough moment. You know, we've we've yeah. done something absolutely enormous here. Like Norwich now, or you know, a team such as Norwich are just um, cannon fodder now. You know, you, you sort of have to, if you want to win the league, you've got to beat, like, you've got to do the double over 16 teams like Norwich. You know, that's that's now what you have to do. And beating them doesn't really, it's not like anyone is going to be talking about it in 30 years' time, or even the following week. You know what I mean? Like, this is a kind of a, this element of excitement about the week-to-week week of the competition has has kind of disappeared. Completely, and 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 again, what what everyone uses uh, as a caveat is is Leicester winning the league, and 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 that, but that was such an anomaly in so many ways. And again, like you're completely right. One thing I was guarding against, there was various things I was guarding against when I was writing this book. But one of the things was not to become what is now sort of universally called on Twitter Yada, where um, you talk about the good old days and how rubbish things are now, but. There is a sense for me that, um, and again, it's a selfish, it's a selfish sentiment. But essentially, my greatest moments and my happiest moments as a fan, the six, the greatest successes and the greatest moments in United's history, cons- coincided with me growing up and be at an age when I, when I was most fanatical about football. And I think when most people are most fanatical about football, that kind of like adolescence, getting into your teen years, and and, and as a young adult, um, before other responsibilities and other things take over. And I was just lucky that United success coincided with that, but it never felt inevitable to me. And maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't feel inevitable to city fans now. I don't know, but there was always those teams that were in and about that, that could do it. Um, Leeds, Leeds weren't massively sort of financially uh, powerful, but they won the league. Villa were always up there in the early nineties. Um, you, you always had the Norwich. Norwich yeah, no, I mean, I think the ninety two, ninety three. They were actually leading a, a Christmas, or or yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, for that Wednesday night game between, or was it a Monday night between United and Norwich? Norwich were ahead of United at that time. You know, yeah, they yeah. were still banging the championship race. It was Villa, Norwich, and Man United. And going into that game, I think Villa were third, or United were third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. but it's, but but it, but 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 it's that it's that thing of. You didn't need to be this big financial behemoth to do it. I, I appreciate that that sounds massively sort of um, loaded as a United fan, considering we we did sort of often manage to hoover up the talent in the league and were the richest club. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Y'all give me to push y'all up on something, man. Yo. Put your respect. Put your respect on my name. I've won five, five World Cups. It's personal between me and I'm going to do you some serious harm, you big stiff idiot. Okay, all right. Who are the people who are going to get together and go, ooh? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yo. Are Kante Rudiger going to be like, ooh? As for the Quetta and Jorginho, like, ooh. Little pack of alpha dogs, like, ooh. Is Mason Mount the senior man? Ooh. Who have we got here? You know, he thinks he's he thinks he's the talks. He thinks he's all that. Put Okay, so that's a little taster of what you missed out on, uh, the second captain's world service this week. If all of this sounds like the sort of thing you'd like to hear more about, then why don't you give it a try? It's the start of the month as well, so there's no better time to spend your fiver plus VAT. Go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join. No contract, no minimum stay. You can come and go as you please. So we'd love to have you along for the ride. Chat to you guys on Monday. It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 